0: Hi Pastor John here, I want to welcome you to our broadcast today. Our sermon this morning is from Luke chapter 22 starting with verse 39. We'll be taking a look at Jesus as he enters the garden of Gethsemane. He's in the crucial hours of his ministry with the cross looming right ahead. And so our question for this morning is what happens when we hear no? How do we react to it? I know how my heart goes when when I hear no. Let's take a look at what happens when Jesus hears no. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 39 through 62. not going to go through the whole passage today. I'll explain in just a second. But let me tell you something. While you're finding that, I was at Starbucks the other day. How many folks go to Starbucks? I'm the only one. Oh, there's two people back there. Okay, three. So I get in line and I can't use my app. And I'm just, oh, I can't believe that I've got to talk to somebody to order my coffee. No, nah, no, nah, no, nah, I'm banging my phone, I'm restarting it, it just won't work. So I get in line, I'm going to order my coffee, because I can't go inside, that's even more work. And I get up and the, the menu board is broken and blank. And I'm like, I'm not having a Starbucks experience. <laughs> What's going on? There's a voice that comes up, can I help you, sir? Oh yeah yeah I want a nitro I'm sorry we don't have any nitros today is there something else I can get for you yeah yeah I'll have a blonde venti latte we're not doing that today either I said well what are you doing he said what would you like I said what I'd like is a nitro or blonde venti latte he said can I get you a latte I said just give me a cold brew Okay, so now I'm in line, the line's long, it's not moving. Somebody up front didn't order ahead. You know, they've inconvenienced me by having to wait 30 seconds for their coffee. And the longer I'm in line, the more upset I'm getting. And and it all started with somebody telling me, no, no, you can't use your app. No, you can't get that cup of coffee. No, you can't have that cup of coffee either. And you can't see the menu and you can't get it quickly. So it started with no. What happens when we hear no? I know what happens inside me when I hear no. Something rises up and I want to turn the no to a yes. I happen to know that the employees of Starbucks are taught to find a way to say yes. And I'm sitting there thinking this, and it's not happening today. somebody didn't get the lesson and the longer I sit in line the more stigma what happens when you say no when you hear no so the last time we were together a few weeks ago the main point was it's easy to miss the point point. and the context we're in right now in Luke 22 is that Jesus is ours from the cross He's trying to prepare his disciples for his departure, but they keep missing the point. In particular, Peter. Peter keeps missing the point. Now we saw four ways to avoid missing the point in the last sermon in Luke. One was to be in service, keeps us from being self-absorbed, self-centered. The other was to be still, keeps us from getting caught up in the cares of the world and missing out what God's doing in our life. The third way was to be sent. And we need to realize that we are sent in the world to be ambassadors for Christ. Not warriors. Not warriors. Ambassadors came up men's breakfast yesterday. Ambassadors speak for the king. Somebody say amen. amen. They don't fight for the king. The soldiers do that. So we're ambassadors. We're representatives for God. We speak for the creator of the universe. And the fourth way was to be sifted. Now, there's some graphic imagery there about being tossed around and the chaff getting separated and blown away and that sort of thing. And we should expect to be sifted. We should expect trials. And we should understand that persecutions and trials and hardships are opportunities not to fight for ourselves, not to claim our rights, but to put Christ on display in our lives and show the people around us what Christ looks like, what love and mercy looks like, and how we react to those trials that appear in our lives, and they're going to come, will demonstrate whether or not we got the point. Now, in our passage today, Peter is about to be sifted. Did he get the point? How will he react? Now, the passage plays out in three vignettes. We're going to see the power of prayer, in verses 39 through 46, that's what we'll look at today. Uh, we'll see the power of darkness in 47 through 53. And we'll see a powerless Peter in 54 through 62. Now, we're going to look at the first one today, the power of prayer. We'll look at the other two in coming weeks. And, uh, and, you know, I wanted to do this whole passage today. But the closer we get to the end of Luke, uh, personally, I'd like to speed up. And get done with the book. And I've heard from a few people who would like to see me do that. Uh, we've been in Luke since May of 2019. We're not done. And I have slowed down specifically because we are right now in Luke approaching the most significant event in the history of the world. And I don't want to cut you short by trying to cover too much at one time. So we may be in Luke for another two years, I'm not sure. Uh, But I want to slow down. I want to take my time. Um, You know, for me, studying for this, I have had a chance to savor what Luke has been doing. We've watched him build all this up. We've watched him uh, enter into ministry. We've watched him find his disciples. We've watched him trying to teach the disciples. And now we're watching him trying to prepare the disciples for his death and his suffering. And, and, and again we're hours from the cross so let's take a look at this power of prayer verse 39 and he came out and went and as was his custom to the mount of olives and to the disciples followed him now note his custom his custom is to to go to a a, a lonely place and and do what he does and now, and, and we got to keep in mind his circumstances he is about to be arrested and tortured and he knows it he's about to be nailed to a cross and he knows it's coming he's fully aware of everything that's going to happen how is he going to react to this situation well he's going to start by doing what he's accustomed to doing by doing the disciplines that he has exhibited as a man of God he's going to revert to those but first before he does that, he's going to tell the disciples what they should be doing. Verse 40. And when he came to the place, the place is Gethsemane. If you saw the video that I distributed last week, uh, last, this week, uh, you know that Gethsemane means the press. It's talking about an olive press. It's talking about squeezing oil out of an olive. This is what Gethsemane means. So there's significance in the name. So when he came to the place, Gethsemane, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is really important. They are in danger. He just told them, Satan is going to attack you. So he tells them, he doesn't tell them, run and hide. He doesn't say, let's sharpen your swords. He doesn't say, let's start a rebellion he doesn't organize a march on Rome he doesn't even tell them to claim authority over the evil demonic realm none of that there's there's no action required from them other than to pray think about this for a second pray that they may not enter into temptation. Now there's an inference of participation here. Did you ever think that you can allow yourself to be tempted? Think about this. We need to constantly be on our guards as to what's happening around us. I'm sitting in a line at Starbucks, I've dropped my guard. I'm not getting my way. I'm unhappy and I'm acting like anything but the godly man that I'm trying to to portray in the scriptures so we have to be on guard because temptation doesn't just sneak up on us we allow it in and we can resist that now there are a lot of programs out there for behavior modifications and we can learn to do this and learn to do that but but Jesus doesn't recommend any of them he tells us to pray. He wants us to pray. He tells the disciples right here that they can resist temptation through prayer. Now, what do they pray? Yeah, maybe there's a different... Oh, no, don't let me be tempted. Don't, oh, Lord, just keep me from being tempted. But Jesus has given us a template for prayer, hasn't he? It's the Lord's Prayer. You take a look at the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to go through the whole thing right now, but there is one line in the Lord's Prayer where we ask for something. And it's that we we He gives us our daily bread. He gives us the things that we need to get through the day. All of the rest of the prayer is about God. The focus is on God and who He is and what our relationship with Him looks like. So, the prayer that we pray is a reflection of our relationship with Him. Are we just asking Him for stuff? Are we asking him for Him to get us out of this situation? Or are we extolling the attributes of God? Are we talking about His glory, His magnificence? Are we talking about His grace which saves us? Are we talking about His mercy which has been shed upon us? Are we talking about how great He is? Or are we talking about the things we want? Now we're going to find out there's nothing wrong with asking for the things you want. It's okay. problem is when we start demanding them. So he wants the disciples to pray. And they need to hear this because they just heard in the previous passage that Satan wants to sift them like wheat. And now what we're hearing is that sifting can lead them to an abandonment of the faith, to a denial of Christ. Karl Bach, one of the one of the leading commentators we have today and kind of wrote the definitive commentary on Luke said this is a lot more than just sifting. Satan wants them to defect. Wants them to turn away from Christ and towards Him. So how does Jesus respond to this outright attack? Again, there's, there's no rallying the troops. There's no protest against Rome. Not even against the Pharisees. He doesn't attack the Pharisees on the social media to let everybody know what rotten people they are. I don't know what it looked like back then, but they probably passed notes around. You see, in the first century, here's a note on what I had for lunch today. Social media in its inception. Look what Jesus does. Verse 41. And He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. The prayer is revealing. I, I think this is. A, I, I think Luke describes this implicitly because he wants us to see Jesus alone. He moves away from everybody, not very far. It's, it's an emotionally charged moment, but we know that he's not really alone. We know that believers are never really alone, and God promised to be with us forever. But Jesus has stepped aside. Now, what does he step aside to do? Brothers and sisters, he stepped aside to be with the Father. He stepped aside to commune with God in heaven. Troubles on the way. So, the very first thing that Jesus does is go to the Father to pray. And watch this he's not angry. He's not demanding. He's not upset. He's not confused. He's not grilling God on what's going on. As a matter of fact, everything about Him shows that this is an act of submission. We need to understand that in the first century, the common posture for prayer was to stand up and raise your hands in the air. You know, we saw the Pharisees doing that. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do anything to call attention to Himself. He humbly kneels down And he prays. Now Matthew and Mark say that he falls down and I think that's probably an expression of the extreme emotion that's happening here. He goes down on the ground. So all of it, kneeling, falling down, going prostrate, any way you want to describe this, it all shows humility. It shows an incredibly strong emotion and as we're going to see, there's a lot of agony occurring here as well. So Jesus' response to impending torture and death. Remember, he knows it's coming. Is prayer. Boy, you know, I go through this. I can't even get a cup of coffee without getting upset. I want to learn. I want to learn that the answer to the situations in life. I mean, this is a cup of coffee I'm talking about. Okay? There, there are people sitting here that have had far worse problems than that and so I want to ask myself, I want to ask you, what's the response to those when they happen? What do we do when they happen? Jesus says, pray. Spend time with the Father. Renew your relationship with Him. So now, now we get that, pray, go to be with the Father, look what He prays, verse 42, saying, "Father." If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's a short prayer. It's incredibly powerful. We've got a lot we can learn from this. Jesus knows what God's plan is. It's the whole reason he's here. It's why he revealed himself. It's why he started his ministry. It's why he's had all these confrontations and everything. That moment is upon him. But God's plan is sometimes hard. Is that true? People used to tell me before I got saved, God has a plan for your life. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought God planned riches and comfort and... God's plan can be hard. Jesus knows. He knows how hard it can be. It's hard enough for us. It's even harder on Him who's perfect and blameless and totally righteous. God's wrath is about to descend upon Jesus Christ in full force. Now, every time I've talked to somebody about this passage, they say, well, what's going on there? Didn't, you know, why is he having this dialogue with God? Why, are there two wills? And I, I thought he was fully God and fully man. Great debates. But I think, I think those debates miss the point. Because I'll tell you what I think is happening here. I think that Jesus expresses himself for our sake. For our sake. I think he goes through this like this so that he can show us that no one, even Jesus Christ, even the Son of God, looks forward to hard times. And everyone would like to avoid them if at all possible. How do we handle hardships when we know they're close how do we handle hardships when we know they're going to hurt they're going to be painful do we take things into our own hands do we do everything we can do to find our way out or do we do what Jesus shows us to do look at the prayer the first thing he prays is the Father's will now many years ago in a different church we would have prayer gatherings somebody would come forward and say I need prayer for this I need prayer for that and we'd stand there and we'd pray for them and they would preface it with now look, I don't want you to pray this Father's will thing I want you to pray a prayer of faith and you know I was never really comfortable with that the more I thought about it I said how can you not pray the Father's will are we to stand up and say God here's how we want you to do this (laughs) we're demanding this I'm standing on that I'm stomping on this Jesus starts the most important prayer in his entire ministry with the Father's will. Wow. Then, then he expresses his desire. See, there's nothing wrong with praying for the things you want. It's okay. Nothing bad about it. He expresses what he would like to see, but he ends with what the Father's will this short prayer is bookended by the father's will he's ready to accept whatever god plans now you would think that as this prayer is uttered that this is god and the son of god you would think that the son of god would have some Special dispensation. Some favor with the Father. After all, the Father's God. He can do whatever He wants. He's the author of miracles. He's created everything. He's hung the stars up in the sky. He's put the mountains in place. He created the wind. He knows every sparrow. He knows every blade of grass. He can certainly do something because His Son wants this so badly. But of all those things that God is, primary attribute is that He's holy. He is holy. And the Father has a plan. And His plan is to make His children holy. And that plan requires the suffering and the death of His only Son. The only perfect human being ever to walk the earth. Jesus knows this. But for our sakes, He asks the Father if there's another way, just so that you and I can see that God's plans are always perfect, even if sometimes they hurt. We need to know that. We need to know that when pain comes into our lives, things aren't running out of control. Satan hasn't wrested the throne from God. Jesus gets his answer right away. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Angels appear. (laughs) Great. Here they come, angel. This is it. Get me out of the situation. I'm here to strengthen you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Strengthen him. I wonder how I would react if the answer to my prayer is no. No. God's not going to do that. Isn't that what God's saying to His Son? No. This is the only way. The only way to holiness. The only way to perfection. The only way to being with Me for all of eternity. Jesus knows that no is a tough answer. Even with an angel standing there to help him through it. Look at his response, verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's no tantrum, there's no anger, there's no negative reaction, no defending himself, no insistence upon his right. No, I'm your son, I deserve better. All there is, is more prayer all there is is Jesus sharing his pain not with those around him not on social media not on the news not out on the streets but but with his father in heaven rather than becoming self-centered in his grief Jesus actually draws nearer to the father he submits to the father's will and we can see how hard this is because his body is racked with pain and agony. The pain and agony of taken on all the sins of the world. Yours and mine. He's doing it for us. Verse 45, And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. So Jesus rises up to find the disciples sleeping from sorrow Luke is very clear to point out so we, we do not want to be too hard on them here it's not like they needed a nap really bad but look, look at what they've been through they've had a very difficult week came to Jerusalem didn't go the way they thought it would Passover meal Jesus says I'm gonna go die we're really close somebody's gonna betray me there's been a lot of trauma and and now and now they see what's happening in the garden and they know They've seen Jesus' agony. They've seen His pleading. They're overcome with the sheer heaviness of this situation. Some of us here have had experiences like that. And we know that they can animate you. They can get you overexcited. Or they can exhaust you. And the frequent response to heaviness like that is to sleep. Just to get away from it all. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm going to lay down. Verse 46 And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says it twice. I think Luke emphasizes the disciples' sleep here just to show us that they're not ready for what's coming, they're not prepared. Jesus is telling them the moment of truth is at hand and they're not going to be ready for it unless they totally depend on God, unless they totally trust Him, and unless they prepare for it by spending time communing with the Father. And that means by praying. We keep getting back to that, don't we? And Jesus repeats himself about avoiding temptation just so that they don't miss the point. They've been missing the point all along. So he's repeating himself. Temptation and trials are best handled through prayer. Isn't that what he just showed them? So therein is the power of prayer. Now... a lot of people think prayer is a way to get things done. Maybe some people think it's a way to get the things you want. Maybe some people think it's a way to get things accomplished. And to a certain extent, that may be true. But right here we see that prayer is not a way to get things done or a way to get things we want, but a way to get through, a way to navigate temptation, hardship, a way to get through our grief. A way to deal, with, to deal with life as it comes at us. Don't miss the fact that Jesus prayed, and although he didn't get what he asked for, I mean, instead God sends an angel to strengthen him. Don't miss the fact that God heard the prayer. He answered it. And he didn't remove Jesus from the situation, he didn't take him out of it, but God gave Jesus exactly what he needed to get through the situation. And frequently we find that out in our own prayer life. God doesn't always give us what we want. But Scripture is very clear, and we see right here that God gives us exactly what we need. Sometimes the answer is no. But we need to understand that even when the answer is no, it doesn't mean that God has left us. It doesn't mean that He's abandoned us. It never interferes with God's love for us. He gave His only Son. He allowed Him to go through all this for us, and the Father's complete and holy love is there. It's there in the yes. And it's there in the no. What happens when you hear no? You know, I'm sitting in line. The longer I sit, the matter I get. I've completely forgot about sermon prep. I get to the window and I'm ready to give him a piece of my mind. Where do you see this survey? Young kid leans out and before he can say a word, he said, Hi, the people in front of you paid for your coffee. I'm like Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I mean God has a way of humbling you, doesn't He? Has a way of reminding us that He's in charge. Has a re- way of reminding us that sometimes no is the best answer we can get sometimes no leads us to look a little bit harder and if we do we can see his hand moving through our lives we don't have to gut this through we don't have to get, 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 fill ourselves up and say i can get through this i'll give them the right response i'll show them what a godly person looks like Jesus died to give us the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. He's that soft whisper that says, what are you so mad about? God knows what's best for you. He wants the best for you. Even if the answer is no. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the way you bless us. We give you praise, Father, for the way you provide for us and protect us, Father. We give you even more praise for those times that you say no. Lord, our spirits tell us you're preparing us for eternity, but sometimes our flesh fights that. We pray that your spirit might be our guide. We ask humbly, Lord, that he be gentle with us, but you give us exactly what we need to navigate those hard times in our lives that we might show our appreciation for what your Son has done, that we might follow His example, that we might be those messengers that you call us to be. And we pray this in the precious, holy, and beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Pastor John here once again and let me thank you again for joining us if you'd like to participate in our ministry there's three ways to get a hold of us you can find us on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org we're on Facebook at WBFVA and we're also on YouTube at WBFVA maybe you're watching us there now so we would love to hear from you if you have prayer requests if you have if you just want to talk to somebody give us a call drop us a line send me a note I would love to be able to chat with you for a while. Before you go, though, let me ask you to do this favor for me. Would you go down to the bottom of the screen on the YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up if you listen to our broadcast. Even subscribe to our channel so that you can keep up with our teaching. God bless you, and thanks again for joining us.